Thank you very much. <clears throat> you know you've had a runny nose when <laughs> there's tissues in your Bible. <laughs> I'm doing better now. How's everybody doing? Good. Good morning. <clears throat> Thank you, worship team. Yeah, I needed that. Hallelujah. Man, I love that word. That'd be worth a tattoo. I think I've said that before. Anybody contemplating new tattoo ideas? Hallelujah. Hallelujah and amen. I get them right here. Hallelujah around that arm. Amen around that arm. That way, when someone reads them, even if they don't like Jesus yet, they would be like, hallelujah, amen. You'd be like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this church, this family. I was reading Dave's shirt. He's up here playing bass. And thank you, Lord, for our, our different worship teams, but just the spirit of bringing our best to you. And every week I feel led by those that are, that are up here. Um, we're so thankful. But I looked up and I see Dave playing his bass in a t-shirt and I go to read it and I says, I love all the filthy animals. I was like, I don't know how many churches you could wear that shirt to, but you can wear it here, play bass, raise your hands in worship. And I just was like, I do too. I love all the filthy animals of which I am one. So, Lord, we thank you for this place where we can come, whether we've been walking with you for 50 years or we're not even sure we know what all this church stuff is about. Uh, this is a place where all the filthy animals are welcome. So, Lord, we open your word today, and we ask that you would speak to us truth, um, but you would do it in the way that only you can, Jesus, and no matter how what truth you want to speak to us, you speak it in a way that the love just permeates our lives and the world around us. So we open your word. We open our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would increase our capacity to know you. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why do you do the things that you do? I'm still trying to figure that one out. But we know from what we've been talking about that we all have these desired results in our lives. We have goals, whether they're spoken or unspoken, you know them or you don't know them. We do things based out of some sort of goal, whether good or bad. Uh, why do we carry on? Why do people carry on the sins of their fathers and mothers? Uh, it's just how they were brought up, we might say. So they have in their mind maybe an unspoken idea of how things are going to turn out. I'm just going to turn out like this anyway, so I might as well. And we continue these things. Or sometimes we believe in greater days ahead, so it's worth that New Year's resolution that's like, you know what? I want to be the best version of me. And so maybe that requires changing the way we eat, uh, changing the way we spend our leisure times, uh, and putting new things into practice. We have a desired result. 
And as we've been talking from the will of God, God has a desired result for your life. And if you don't know Jesus, let me just tell you what God's desired result is, his goal for you. God has a goal for you, by the way. Uh, and it's not God's goal is like, I just want all people to go to heaven. No, he says it very clear in the Bible. God's goal is that you would know him. And by knowing Jesus, you will know God. So this is God's will, his goal, his desire for your life, that you would know him if you don't already. So when I talk about people, I don't want to sound cheesy or whatever, but I'll say, oh, they do not yet know Jesus. Here's why. God wants to know them, and I didn't yet know Jesus until I was a little bit older in life. As a matter of fact, I was never invited to church. Most people, they would, they would want me to not come to church. That's how screwed up some church systems are in our world, that they would be like, no, don't bring them. They're bad. <laughs> they, they will mess up what we got going on. But I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about that Jesus was real or that he loved me. I was 17 years old, grew up in the United States of America. I wasn't, we worry about what about that one far off village and that one far off place. Those, I was one close up kid in a close in Aspen, Colorado, the richest town in, in the United States. And I just thought church was like, a, well, you could go to the Elks Club. You could go to the, the uh, other, what's the other one? The Eagles Lodge. Or to church. They're all sort of the same, right? And um, I didn't know that God wanted to know me. Changed my life once I found out that he did. And if you do know God, and you are walking with Jesus, God has desires for you too. His desire is this, that you would grow in his will. That you would have more of God's heart, God's spirit, God's desires. God's love, God's administration of grace and justice in your life and in the world, to have his will be more developed in your life. There's a word for this in the Bible. It's called Christ-likeness. You see it all over. It's, it's that we would be Christ-like. Have you ever heard that term? You need to be more Christ-like. I'm kind of like, well, sweet. How do you get it? Is there an app for that? How do I get more, how do I get more Christ-like? You're supposed to have it. Not only are we supposed to have it, it's expected of you. There can be a lot of pressure. It's kind of like you have, I see so much potential in you, but you're just really not measuring up. That's how a lot of us feel in this, in this role, in this life of knowing that God wants our heart knowing that he wants to lead us, and there are still things in our life that we don't understand, and we want more Christ-like, but we, f we feel like we're failing at being Christ-like. It's this whole uh, pressure to perform. So how do we get it? Well, we don't just believe the things Jesus said. We do the things Jesus did. We become like Christ. So we've been talking about rhythms. Jesus had rhythms. Today we're going to start that, but we spent a couple of weeks talking about, we're not just going to talk about the things that we do, but the people that we're becoming. 
Because you can do all of these things in the name of Jesus in your, in your mind, and Jesus could say, man, that's not representing my heart at all. That's where the spirit of religiosity comes from. That's where um, uh, legalistic spirits comes from. That's where misrepresenting Jesus' heart towards people, towards the world. That's where that stuff comes from. But as we do the things Jesus did, the things seen in Jesus, the things practiced by the early church, the first church, this church in, in the first century, and then things that are taught in the rest of the New Testament, we see this theme. Jesus lived with intentionality. There were things that he did with repetition. We've been calling them um, intentional rhythms. So we're going to look at the first one this morning. It's called this. I'm calling it this. Being planted in the house. Planted in the house. If you have your Bibles, we, I'm gonna, we're going to be in a couple of places, but let, I just want to look at this um, to show you this was a rhythm of Jesus. Oh, by the way, if you have a hard time believing that it was a rhythm of Jesus to go to church often, um, you know, it wasn't. This is what he did. So Luke chapter 4, we'll have the verses on the screen, but if you, if you have your Bible, open Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses, verses 16 and 17. I just want to show you this word and where I've been thinking about uh, this series and, and the rhythms and all of that stuff. So in, in Luke chapter 4, 16 and 17 says this. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. When he came to the village of Nazareth, this is speaking of Jesus, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read from the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. We'll get back to that and tell you what was written in it in a little bit. I just want you to see that verse 16 right there. You read right over it, and you should, because when things are habit and rhythm, you don't think about them too much. They just get put into practice. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual. Maybe your, some of your Bibles say, as was his custom. Some of them you will say, as he was accustomed to, or as was his habit, or as he practiced. This was a rhythm in Jesus' life. A rhythm is something that you do over and over and over and over. It has a, a um, consistency to it. It's not every once in a while, but it was all the time. It's a no-brainer. It's what he did. Now, I'm going to do some real talk today. Anyone good with some real talk that can help you in your life? All right. I believe that for everything God wants to do, there is someone who wants to undo what God wants to do. I believe there is an enemy who is opposed to the work of God in this world and in your life. An enemy of your soul. And I believe that he uses three things primarily to keep us be from becoming the people that not only God wants us to be, we want to be. Deep down, we want, we were created to know God. But it was sin that's in the world that says, no, do your own thing. Your goals, they should be your own for you and you alone. God is saying, I have something bigger than that. We were created 
to know God, to be with him, to walk with him. And there's an enemy of your soul that I believe uses three things primarily to keep us from becoming the people that we deeply desire to be. Here's what he uses. Number one, division. Number two, distraction. And the third one, discouragement. God, these are the opposite. These are anti from what God wants to do. You've heard the term the antichrist. It's not like the equal and opposite of God. It is one that opposes the work of God. The one who is the biggest opposer or accuser of the work of God. This is what he wants to do in your life. He wants to cause division in your marriage and in your home. He wants to cause distraction. How was your latest TikTok scroll? Were you enriched afterwards? Your latest Instagram scroll. What a time suck. 20 minutes later, you're like, I, I am no better. As a matter of fact, I'm more agitated at four different people and three different organizations. Distraction. We are such a distracted people. The third one is discouragement. What, what the enemy wants to speak to you. You'll never be better. Those people were right about you. I was just talking to one of my sons yesterday. How I, We were talking about the power of self-talk. It's all over the Bible. Um, but the things that we say to ourselves. Oftentimes, I'm, I say things to myself. I'll wake up on a Sunday morning sometime. And I, I'm nervous every Sunday. But I'll wake up some Sundays. And there's this sense of like, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to fail today. It like grips me. And God has given me rhythms in my own life to stand up, tell myself to shut up, brush your teeth, put your clothes on, open the Bible, open your computer, go over your notes. This is gold. This is good. This is true. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about these people. And I start speaking these things over myself. My English teacher in high school, she wasn't right. She was wrong. I can do this. Just because I didn't write any of my papers in high school, just to let you know, I write a several thousand page document every week, and then I give it orally. This goes against everything that was ever spoken of me and over me in high school. <laughs> but those things are still there, and I speak to them. That discouragement, you can't do this. You're not a good leader. You're just like, blah, blah, blah. That's the devil. You guys realize that's not God speaking to you. So we need to develop these rhythms that combat that stuff. But we need to be mindful. If it's causing division, that's not from the Lord. We need rhythms to combat that. If it's causing distraction, let me just tell you rhythms, you know what they are? They're focused patterns. We need more focus. And if it is discouragement, let me tell you what God does. He wants to encourage. He wants to give courage. Encourage is not like, hey, you're so handsome. It's like, you can do this. This is what I created you to be. This is speaking words of life over ourselves and others. So let's look at these rhythms that combat this. The one we're going to talk about today is church. Let's look at church. I love this quote that I read recently. It says, churches become more like going to the movies when it's supposed to be more like going to the gym. 
What is church for? The way you answer that question, I'm going to tell you, the way you answer that is what you're going to get out of it. What is church for? What's supposed to happen here? Well, when Jesus went to the synagogue, it says, as was his custom or habit or pattern, this is what's hard, okay? We read the Old Testament before Jesus, and we read about the temple or the tabernacle. Then we read the New Testament when Jesus is walking. We hear about the temple. We hear about the synagogue, but there's no mention of church. Then Jesus ascends to heaven after his death and resurrection, he ascends to heaven, and then he's starting in, in Acts, the, book, the first book after the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and you have Acts. That's the birth of the church. The church had a birthday. It was born. It went through an infancy, and then it was a teen where it acted like it knew everything and could drive a little bit, and then, you know, became bitter, midlife crisis, all the things. The church has been there, and uh, that's where we find ourselves. But when we read in the New Testament, we see words like synagogue and temple. Now, the best we can do is we take those and then we, we, we um, bring ourselves into, into that. What does that mean? Meaning like, uh, is the church like the synagogue? Is the church like the temple? Well, yes and no. But I just want to let you know what Jesus, his heart for what was supposed to happen at the temple and the synagogue, and then we'll talk about the church, okay? The temple. In the synagogue, two different places. Different things happened at those different places. The temple in Jerusalem was the primary house of worship. It's where people would come and bring offerings and sacrifices. It's the place where sin was dealt with. And the majesty of God was proclaimed. It was this big, beautiful, holy place the temple was a place where only one person could come into the place where the presence of God was but this one person not just anyone could go one person could go and this one person who was called the high priest could only go at certain times and only after they had done all these ritual washings and ceremonial cleansings they had to be in this place uh, to stand on behalf of people in the presence of God. This was to show the holiness, the seriousness, the unworthiness of the human condition to stand before God. This is a purpose. But then it says in Hebrews that we have this other high priest, and his name is Jesus. And he went to the place that the, the priest in the temple, Jesus went to this place on behalf of you and me for all times. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. There was this temple that separated where people could go from this place that this only this one person could go. It said that place was, that, that, that temple veil was torn in two. As if saying, we don't need someone to come on your behalf. Jesus went on your behalf, so now you can go anytime you want. Not because you deserve it. It's still the holy place. You still have to be as clean as this person. You can never wash your hands enough. Have you ever done something bad? 
and you try to wash off afterwards that you still feel dirty. You could never clean yourself up enough to stand before God and, be in an, and just be like, yeah, I'm good enough. Can't happen. But Jesus, because of his great love and he is our high priest, went to that place where none of us could go on our behalf. That's the temple. That's where people went. And then the synagogue was, the, the synagogue literally means place of assembly. It's like a community center. I was looking up pictures of synagogues. It's super cool. These, there was one temple. Synagogues were in every community. You needed, according to their tradition and law, you needed 10 uh, Jewish men in an area to have a synagogue, a place where you would come. Otherwise, any Bible students in here, when you're reading the book of Philippians or Acts, when they're talking about when they went to Philippi, and there was no synagogue, so Paul went to the, anyone? He went to the river. Because when there was no synagogue, people would connect to God in, a, in, a, nature, in the, a natural place, typically by a river. So when you're outside and you feel close to God, it's like by design. Um, so anyways, the synagogue means place of assembly. This was the central place, not for worship and sacrifice, but for instruction, prayer, and community. When you look at these places... The seating was similar to this, but it was like a square room and there were bleachers on the side and they were made out of rock. They didn't have cushions on them. It wasn't as comfortable, but the idea was that there would be a group of people all facing the same direction. That's kind of like shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. This place of community and instruction and prayer. The idea is that people would have a place to meet together. The temple that people would have a place to meet with God. The synagogue, that people would have a place to meet together. Where is the church in this? Yeah, in the radical middle, maybe. It's supposed to be this beautiful blend of both. It's a place where all come boldly to offer sacrifice and praise. People are like, oh yeah, we go to this church and they sing these songs and some people raise their hands. Sort of weird. You know what that is? The Bible says that is a sacrifice of praise. It's an offering of worship. When we give our, our money into the box, that it's a response of thank you, God, and it's an offering. I love you. I'm so thankful that I have a job. I never thought I would be at this place. Or it's like, I don't have much, Lord, but what I have is from you, and I thank you, and I worship you with it. That's worship. We don't have to slaughter a, a, a sheep because a a lamb was slaughtered on your behalf. So we don't come and, and we don't have to do anything to gain access. We come because we have access. That's a life of worship in response. Where we don't need to have some holy person to go on our behalf, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, we can come. Part of the reason why I dress the way I dress and wear a beanie on Sunday or do whatever when I first started inviting my friends to church, when I first got saved, I went to what, I didn't know it at the time, but it would have been called a conservative church. <laughs> like where the pastor wore a suit, he sang from the front facing us, he had a real deep voice. Um, you know, the band was like, over, it was like, it was pretty old school. Um, 
But it was powerful. It's where I gained a love for God's word because this dude would open up the Bible and say stuff that I just knew. God, it was like, God, that's God's word. It was heavy, you know. But I, when I started inviting people, I was back in the day, I had a lot of piercings on my face and stuff. And it's back in style now, but I wore real big pants. Real big. Like size 38 was the smallest pair of jeans I owned. And I was known to rock up to like 44s. Jankos too. So actually this was like post-Janko. But I had this rule that if you could see more than about that much of the tip of my shoe, the legs weren't big enough. You just hover everywhere you went. But I would wear my biggest, my baggiest. I'd put in my biggest gauges. I would wear my most visible eyebrow ring. I would do all of that stuff when I invited people because there was something that God showed me from the very beginning. Is it church was supposed to be a place that obstructions were taken out of the way for people to come and meet with Jesus. Not to be put in place, but to be taken out of the way. And I just remember from the beginning, I'm going to look the most out there I can so this person will feel comfortable. And the people that I did that for, both of them, they're both dead now. They both died. I don't know where they're at, but I know that God was drawing them and they, there was something in them that they wanted to know about God. And so, who, you know what? And they trusted me enough and saw enough change in my life that when I said, you should come with me, even though they were like, get that crap out of here for months. But because of our love that we had, finally when I was like, dude, you should come. And he came and he sat with me. And we looked so different than everybody in there. Even though I, I looked different, I still knew that I belonged. But he didn't. And he came a few times. And he heard God's word. But then I was just like, even back then, God put in my heart like, this is what you're going to do. And I don't know, I have language around it. I just know that I've gotten older and I have a desire for people to know God. And I want to pull all obstructions out of the way as much as possible so they can really meet Jesus. Because people... In their heart, they want to, but there's been so much stuff layered on top, they don't even know what it looks like anymore. And you know the last place people go to meet with Jesus? Freaking church. That's not right. Here's the truth. We still don't deserve, no matter what we do, to stand in the presence of God. That's religion. Here, you do this, and then you can come. But because of God's amazing grace and the love with which he loves us, we don't only get to come, we get to come to church the way kids run home. The way kids come home when they're hurt, the way kids come home when they're hungry, the way kids come home when they're tired, the way kids come home when they miss their parents, we get to come to church the way kids walk into their own home full with full abandon and transparency. I got three things the Holy Spirit wants to constantly remind us of in the rhythm of church. Are you ready for it? All right. In Galatians chapter 6, I want to read to you guys 10 verses, and we're going to break them down a little bit. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let me read this. It says, brothers, so this is a letter written to a church in a region um, 
the Galatian region. Okay, here we go. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin or transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love God, love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Look to your left. Look to your right. That's your neighbor. Unless you're married, then it's more than a neighbor. Um, but like a good neighbor. Okay. That's the law of Christ, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this commandment hang all the law and all the prophets. It's love, loving for God and for people. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let each one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a lot in there. Be worth reading again. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's convicting. But it's healthy. It's good. As a matter of fact, I think it's all over the Bible talks about gathering, God's people gathering. But this is talking about as a household of faith, a family of God. And there's conduct in here. So I want to say from this, I want to say there's, there, and they're all over the Bible. It's just so you know, God wove it into the fabric of humanity to gather together and worship him. But as we look in this text, there are three things that, that, God, that the Holy Spirit wants to constantly remind us of in the rhythm of church. The first one is this. Or let me give, to, give all three of them to you and then we'll go through them real quick. The is a people, a plan, and a practice. Yes, they all start with P, so you know it's biblical and holy. The first one, you are part of a people. You need to be reminded often that you're part of a group bigger than yourself. The church has always been a place where social, spiritual formation is happening. It's where God meets a people, not a person. God is a God of a people not just an individual. We'll talk about some individual rhythms. Matter of fact, Ted's going to share about one next week. But there's a few. But this one is intentionally social. So when someone says, oh, I don't need the church, I know that there is a 
probably wounding there. And then there's also a misunderstanding of God's word because you can't be a Christian and not be a, need the church. You know what? Uh, one of my favorite leadership podcast dudes says, he says this. He goes, you know the main difference between the first century church and, our, and the church of the 21st century? He said in the first century church, they needed each other and they knew it. In our context, we still need each other. We just don't know it. I was like, oh, that was powerful. See, when you are gathered in a group of people, like a family, you know one of the things you realize? It's a hard realization, but the world doesn't revolve around you. The entire world, you're not the center. When you gather in a group of people, you realize there's more going on here. People, you find out, are going through different life circumstances. And yet, what are you all doing right now? You're all facing the same direction. You're all looking to God as individuals, as families, as a community, but as a people, like in the synagogue, we're all looking for instruction and direction. And like the temple, we're all looking to have spiritual needs met and things dealt with. But we're shoulder to shoulder. We're arm in arm. A place, the church should be a place that is common ground. I put a place of diversity and community. These two are not mutually exclusive, meaning existing just one and you can't have the other. That's not an either or, it's a both and. We treat it as an either or sometimes in the church. A place of diversity or community. But it's supposed to be both. Did you know that the church by design is supposed to be the, um, the, it's supposed to be a sample size of the community at large. If you walk into a church and it looks nothing like the community in which it's plant, with, in, with, in which it exists, um, I would leave. Even if it's like, because what happens is, church has become a place where we just want to make people like, we they look like us, they vote like us, they think like us, they dress like us. Church is always one of the, one of the biggest attacks or, or tendencies towards the church. It says it in Galatians, it says that when you sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. So it's like the place that doesn't feel welcome, you feel like you stand out, like you don't belong, and or someone who, if they come, they don't belong, so what do you do? You don't invite them. Because it becomes more about this thing. It's more about us than it is about Jesus. Now, that's a rough thing to say, and I'm not casting stones at anyone. I've noticed it in my own life in the past. But it's not by God's design. Church should be very diverse, and yet community, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is unity. It, it shows, it's a sample size of what God can do. Which means there is room for all different types of people. So I put it like this in my mind. The rhythm is not to make people like us, but to make us like Jesus. Church, 
social place. The, the rhythm of coming all the time, making it your habit, is not to make the world like us. It's to make us like Jesus. Jesus hung out with all sorts of people all the time. As a matter of fact, it confused a lot of people. Why does he hang out with them? Why did he give so much attention to that woman? There's, there's, people said, if Jesus only knew what kind of person that was, he wouldn't even spend time with them. Jesus did it on purpose. It was his habit. It was his rhythm. It should be ours. The second one is this. Second thing that we want to be reminded of. We are part of a plan bigger than your own. You're part of a group bigger than you. You are part of a plan bigger than your own. When Jesus went in, um, in Luke that we read, it was his rhythm. He went into the synagogue. It says he picked up the text. It was open to Isaiah. And they gave him the Bible. So it would have been the Old Testament, probably in scroll form. I sort of want to get it. I'd feel way more gangster if I could be like, and open that. But my Bible is bound in leather, so that's pretty gangster. Um, he opened the scroll, or it was given to him, Isaiah. It was, there would be a reading and some prayer. It was pretty cool. Uh, fairly liturgical, meaning like kind of the same thing. So when you go, when some churches now, they have patterns that they, we're talking about rhythms. Some people have their whole church service is rhythms. And if that works for them, that is awesome. Um, and for some people, it's beautiful. That's not part of my story. So it always felt foreign to me. And I always felt like there was something going on that I wasn't a part of. And so we're, uh, if you're new to the church, I hope you come to the lunch. Because God is building something here. And then after we talk about these rhythms, we're going to talk about why we at the bridge do what we do. We'll be talking on that in weeks to come. But some churches have these rhythms, and it works, and it's awesome. Those are always foreign to me, and God spoke to me in other ways, like just through the Bible and conversation. And I'm a pretty street-level person. And so I want to remove as many things that could make people feel like they don't belong as they do. It's not because I don't think that stuff is good. It just doesn't fit in my context and, and in our context. We're a part of a plan bigger than our own. So he opened up to Isaiah, and this is what Jesus read, quoting from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, that oppressed will be set free, and that the time of God's favor has come. These five things. This was a prophetic scripture of what, the, what it will be like. Jesus read it, closed it, and he goes, that just happened right now. As a mic drop moment. That's who I am. That's what I do, is what he said. There's five things in there. I'm not going to go through each one, but he had a purpose. He had a plan bigger than theirs. Here's what it is. Jesus has a plan of reconciliation. To reconcile something means to make it right or make it whole or as it was, as it is, was intended to be, make things right. So whatever your plan is for you, God's plan is bigger. Whatever your plan is for the community around you to make it a better place, God's plan is bigger. 
whatever your plan is for your family and your kids and their future and their growth and all the good stuff, God's plan is bigger. See, I want to teach you. So I study and I prepare and I try to bring clarity and simplicity. But the best I can do is teach. God wants to transform. See, the best I can do is what we can do is welcome and set up a place. But God wants to welcome you into something so much bigger than four walls of a church community. He wants to welcome you into his family. I want you to experience freedom. Jesus wants you to experience forgiveness. What it is to stand before God fully just who you are with all your past, present, and future junk and have him be like, that's mine right there. I want you to know that you are loved. Jesus wants you to know more. These rhythms bring constant clarity when you sit in a communal place looking to the Jesus. Looking to the Jesus. <laughs> He's like the dude. Looking to Jesus that it's not about you, it's about him, and it's about these people. You are part of a plan bigger than your own. Last one is this. You are part of a practice. A practice. He wants you to be reminded that there is a practice. Back in Galatians it says, let, let each one of you test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For we each have to bear our own load. I'm going to end on a heavy note. No one can do your life for you. I want to. I want to go through the hard stuff for you, for others, because it says bear one another's burdens. But you can't bear one another's burdens if you don't know it, learn how to bear your own load. You guys, there's stuff that you're facing in your lives that I wish I could take away. But God has them there, and he's going to lead you through, and it's for you to go through. And I'm sorry. Especially if you're in situations that are a byproduct of decisions you've made. I am not only the, a member, I am the president of that club. Where I'm just like, oh my gosh. You know what I learned in those places? More than anything, the best leadership tools I ever learned. Not how to be a powerful speaker or all of that stuff. You know what God showed me in those hardest places? Humility. That I need God to do it. And that by my rhythms of consistency is my way of just being like, Lord, I'm open to what you are doing. And then he shows me, oh, I'm, it's not about me. Then he shows me, God's got a greater plan. It includes others. And then he shows me, so do these small steps with consistency. No one can do it for you, but you know what we can do? We can do it with you. We can do it together. That's the whole point of bearing one another's burdens. We go together. So three things about a practice that I just want to hit. When it comes to practices and things like that or participation, I just put it like this. You have a path to walk. I mean, you have a burden to bear. Your life is not easy. I understand that. You 
have been through things that I haven't been through. I have been through things that you haven't been through, but we're all together in the fact that God is working all things together for good for us and for those that he will draw through us. There are things that God is allowing you to go through that may seem foreign to others, but they're not foreign to the Lord. He'll lead you through. You have a path to walk. Don't quit. Don't blame. You have a part to play. Bearing one another's burdens. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do to help somebody else in their struggle is to be at church on Sunday when they come. Because when they see the steadfastness in your life, it lets them know there's help for them. But when church is the movies and we go when we feel like or we like the show that's playing, people don't see steadfastness. If you go when you feel like it and they go when they feel like it, let me tell you how often you'll see each other. Hardly ever. I've seen people that go to church together for five, six, ten years that don't know each other's kids' names. And it's because we go, it's just because we're in this default mode of it's me, it's mine, it's, it's, I sit there. That's my spot. They sit over there. I don't know them. It's just, it's just how we're wired. But these rhythms, they have to combat that. Because God wants to bring unity. You have a part to play. People will be encouraged by your steadfastness. Did you know that you going to church isn't just for you? It's for the person next to you. So when people come and they go, man, look at this group of people. Oh, I met them last week. They're super cool. I put it like this. I don't know if I've said it before, but in my mind, this place, we want to be a steadfast presence in a roller coaster world. So as we're having conversations with people at our jobs and our schools, I oftentimes, when I invite, I'm like, dude, you should come. It's a rad group of people. You'll fit right in. We're just people trying to like look to the Lord. Recognize that he's like so good. And just remember that he's got us in the palm of his hand. And then we're just trying to do the best we can with the world that's in front of us. And make it, we're, so I tell people, I'm like, we're not, the Bible says that even though people may be groping around in the darkness, he says, God is not far from any of us. God is a lot closer than you think. He's not way out there. He's constantly at work in you and through you. But we want to be a steadfast place. So when I'm, I'm like, whenever you come, we'll be there. Whether there's 100 people or 300 people, doesn't matter. There's going to be people that show up before you. They're going to make a bunch of coffee. They're going to make some donuts. There's going to be lessons that are planned for your kids that they would leave here going, Jesus loves me. He has a plan for my life. Stuff is going to be set up. We'll be here. That's called steadfast. The last one is this. You have a path to walk. God has things for you. You have a part to play, not just for you, but for others. And you have a portion to give. When you read that verse in, in, in Galatians, it says, here's some responsibility that you have to yourself, to others, and to God. The portion to give, to grow this diverse community that you are benefiting from. We live in a YouTube world. Go smash that like button and hit subscribe. So 
other people can see what you're watching and we can build this thing. There's no, that's, and we think that is what we do at church. Uh, we like them on Facebook. But we don't invite people to what's going on. We say stuff like, man, what you guys are doing is rad. And I came and it was such a diverse community, but we don't give to what is happening. But in the, in the rhythm of church, you see that like, man, I have a response just like a family. We sit around the table. Everyone in our family has responsibility. It's a place of love and respect, but there are also things that like Jonah has to do. That's, that's his responsibility. I have things that are mine, and they differ, right? Here's what you have to give. Did you know you have a story to share? It's called a testimony, but it's your story, what God is doing in your life. That's your responsibility. You have that. That's for you to share to somebody so they know what God is doing in your life. You have an encouragement to give. If the devil wants to bring discouragement, then you who are an image bearer of God, you can share an encouragement. Speak courage, infuse courage into someone around you where you're like, oh, I've been through that. Here's what God did in my life. I'm praying, can I pray with you? Before church, I talked to three different people and I don't know how to answer their specific things. They're in stuff. And I said, after church, would you come up and pray with our, that's speaking courage, encouraging one another. And then you have a financially, a financial responsibility to steward. All things are from the Lord, and it's for his glory and the plan around you, then we have uh, responsibility towards these things. Rhythms provide consistency. We need more consistency. Jesus was the most consistent person who ever lived. And then he says, it's for your benefit that I go because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the consistency that we see in him, he says that stuff will be manifest in our own life and greater things will happen. It's for our good. And so as we look at this first one of going to church, that's an easy one to be like, go to church and be better people. But it was at church that, that we realized, it's not about me, actually. It's about Jesus, so we worship, like the temple. It's not about me, necessarily. It's about these other people. But when you gather yourself around other people, you know what you realize? I'm not alone. Other people are going through this stuff, too. Other people whose kids are grown and turned out halfway decent, they actually had no idea what they were doing either. Other people who have, have made decisions that have really impacted their life, look at them now. Jonah said to me yesterday, Dad, did you have, we went snowboarding yesterday together, me and him. And we were just talking about life and stuff. And he goes, Dad, do you, did you ever think? I'm not trying to think. He's just throwing my kid under the bus. No, it's not conversation I was talking to him about my past about high school and things I see in him that are great strengths and all of this stuff and and uh, he goes would, did you ever think that you would be where you're at he's 14 he's my one of my best friends but here's what he said do you ever think you would like own a truck in a in a house and I'm all no I was destined to fail 
we were talking about God's goodness and the rhythms of remembering and thankfulness. It was all of this stuff. It's what God is doing in your life. It's not about you. It's about what he can do. And then how can we help others along the path? So would you guys stand with me? I want to pray, close this thing out. We're going to sing this last song. And uh, then I'll come up and dismiss us. So Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we just, I just want to say this out loud over our church. Our church is not just a place that we go. It's a people that we are. We get to come to this place and we're so thankful for this building, Lord. We've been praying for one forever. And here we are. But we have not arrived. We just have a place that we can come and we can invite people to and we can have lunches after service and we can do all this stuff. But as, as, as good as our rhythm is and as good as our consistency is, your rhythm and consistency is better. You are always there. You are always ready to meet with us, to talk with us as your people, to lead us as a community. So we ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us as a people, that there would be a spirit of unity in this place and diversity. We may look different. We may come from different places. We may dress different. We may do all this stuff different, but that there would be a spirit and the world would say, look how they love one another. So we thank you. We sing this song. Lord, this is an offering, this song. May we give it to you as an offering. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.